For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everyone? And welcome to another episode of Believe in Falcons. I am your host, Will McFadden. You can follow me on Twitter, at Will McFadden. You can read my work at The Falcoholic and... Obviously, you can listen to me here on this podcast. So if you enjoy it, please subscribe, uh, share the word, let everybody know that we're doing this, especially now that football season is about to kick back into gear. Uh, And hopefully I'll be able to kind of weave some stories in and out and share some experiences that I've had over the years being able to go to games or or travel or whatever. Um, So please let everybody know that we're doing this. Later on, I'm going to do a mailbag uh, before training camp gets underway. And if you're listening to this on a Tuesday, then that means that camp has officially begun for the Atlanta Falcons. So we're going to get into all of that. But first, July is underway and a great month for sports. If you're into sports betting, Bet Online is where you should go to win money today. With the NBA Finals ending and the MLB heading into the second half of the season, there's plenty of betting action to get involved in. And if you're a football better, there are tons of futures and props you can wager on as well. Bet Online has all the latest odds, news, and information for all your online sports betting needs. Visit the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. So before the next tip off, face off, or pitch, head on over to Bet Online and start playing today. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, we're back. So the Falcons made a couple of small minor moves on Monday, bringing in uh, outside linebacker Emmanuel Ellerby and offensive lineman Justin Spriggs. They uh, unfortunately let go of Tony Brooks James, who I really enjoy, but I'm not going to read too much into those two moves. I I think that those are pretty much camp moves at a a few bodies, but it's clear that they have a little bit, I think, of a type in what they're looking for at outside linebacker slash, you know, edge. That's a little bit different than what was taking place uh, under Dan Quinn and his style of defense. So I will get into that a little bit more in the mailbag uh, a little bit later on. But I want to kind of open today talking about just the overall outlook of the season and all the speculation, all the questions that I've gotten that are are basically like, hey, are the Falcons going to be good this year? What do you think the team record is going to be? You know, if history proves anything, it's that I'm horrible at this. But I also think that I should be given uh, cut myself a little bit of some slack because the past few seasons have frankly just been impossible to predict. The one time that I really did feel like I had a good pulse on how the season was going to play out was in 2018. And I think that I felt at the time that that had the potential to really be the best 
Falcons team, even better than 2016, because 2017 was when they really started to gel defensively. And it was really the defense that kind of got them into the playoffs with that three game win streak and then shut down the Rams in L.A., allowed them to keep a really, really close game against Philly, who eventually won the Super Bowl. So going into 2018, a lot of the people were back. There was continuity. I just felt like if there was ever going to really be a peak Falcons team, it was going to be that year. And then injuries just completely crippled what I thought was going to be a great defense. And I remember writing the stories and coming in back to back Mondays in weeks one and weeks two and have to write a story about Deion Jones and then Keanu Neal essentially missing for Keanu. It was the rest of the year. And then for Deion, it was 10 games. So all of a sudden your two kind of most dynamic young defensive players are gone. And it did allow somebody like Foye Luikan to really jumpstart his career and become a nice player. But my point is, it's really, really hard to predict what's going to happen in an NFL season. And I have no idea what I have no read on this Falcons team whatsoever. And a lot of that is we haven't seen it. They haven't been in training camp yet. We don't know really what this Falcons team is going to look like. You can always when you've got a head coach coming back or you got a coaching staff or you know, there's just more continuity. It's obviously easier to predict because you've got information to base your prediction off of. But you could tell me that this team is going to finish four and 13. And I don't think I would bat an eyelash. Or you could tell me that this team is going to finish. I don't know, 10 and seven. Is that is that possible? Nine and eight. I mean, nine and eight seems is that really the ceiling for this team? Because The NFL is all about one score games, and it's interesting every time somebody sits there and says, but look at how many one score games they played last year. Look around the league. Every team is playing five, six, seven, eight one score games. That's the way that this league is designed. And if you're super unlucky one year, which the Falcons were in parts unlucky and in parts incompetent in in their one score games last year, that is something that you can see flip from year to year. and so. If Atlanta is well coached, if Atlanta's disciplined, they do still have enough good players to win those one score games. And if you go five and one, four and two in your one score games, all of a sudden now you're probably in the like eight win territory, seven, eight win territory. And from there, you know, you you just have to find other winnable games. And there are some winnable games on Atlanta's schedule. There are some losable games as well, which is kind of why. I'm in this situation. I'm having a hard time because I really like the moves that the organization has made this offseason. I like Arthur Smith as a coach. I think he's the weird, perfect blend of new age schemes and just the way he thinks about deploying those schemes and just what matters today. Red zone efficiency, third down efficiency, play action, getting defenses kind of on their back heel and dictating two defenses to keep them guessing. I think Arthur Smith does all of that. But in talking to him, he's, he is a very no-nonsense. He cares about what he cares about. And it is it is very, like Mike Vrabel is is a lot like that. Bill Belichick, obviously, is the lead example. And I'm, I, I think it's hard to compare anybody to Bill Belichick. And that's not what I'm doing here. But it's a little bit more of that old school, no-nonsense, hey, your, your actions are going to speak louder than your words type of mentality. And it's a really cool blend nowadays. And so I like, him as a coach, I like his scheme. I like a lot of the assistance that he's brought in. 
starting from that foundation, because I always tend to give a little bit more credence to the teams with coaches that I trust and think highly of. I just think that, you know, you can put your players in the best possible situation and get a lot out of them, but it takes a good coach to really understand how to do that, adjust on the fly when it's not necessarily working and get the most out of their players. For that reason, I'm a little bit bullish on Atlanta, but you look at just all the guys they lost. And I, I did say, you know, there still are good players on this roster. Guys like Matt Ryan, Calvin Ridley, obviously, Grady Jarrett, Deion Jones, you know them. But they did lose a lot of players. You know, you lost essentially your entire safety group. Alex Mack, even though he was aging and we were seeing a little bit of, of signs of his decline kind of the last two years, he was just not as quick getting up to that second level, sealing off that that gap that would turn a four-yard or a three-yard run into a nine-yard run, he was lacking there a little bit, or it was starting to, to decline, and that's understandable. But he's a really good player, and he's no longer on this roster. And so now you've got another situation on your offensive line where for years you didn't have to worry about that until the last time that you did, and you went and got Alex Mack. Well, there's no Alex Mack that the Falcons are signing this offseason. So they need to rely on some younger guys to be able to step up. They just, I don't know if they can really compete for 17 games with the roster that they have because the issue with Atlanta over the years was that it was so star-studded that the floor of the roster wasn't as high as some other teams around the league. Now it's kind of like the guys who were in that middle tier just below the star players. Of course, Julio is gone as well, so that's one star player. It's gone, but, but kind of your middle tier depth guys, you know, uh, Bleedy Ray Wilson, those guys aren't here anymore. And so really the, the big elephant in the room is any type of injury situation early on for the Falcons this year. And I think this season is is toast, but we all do this as we get further away from the previous season and closer to training camp for the next one. Your natural tendency is to be a little bit more optimistic, a little bit more excited. Football's back and you're just hoping that maybe it's kind of this like 2012 season where the Falcons were supposed to be, you know, good. They'd obviously made the playoffs the last three or so seasons, but you weren't expecting them to be what they were to start the 2012 season. I think they were 8-0 and one of, you know, only three undefeated teams left at that point. Matt Ryan jumped into the MVP conversation if, if it wasn't for you know, Peyton Manning and, and Adrian Peterson having just historic years like I, he would have really, really been in contention for that award. Uh, I believe that was Mike Nolan's defense, I think. And, and they kind of came out gangbusters. So you never know if something like that is around the corner because there are those teams every single year that everybody's just picking against them. And then they jump up and kind of surprise you. Obviously, Cleveland was a team like that last year. The Raiders, I feel like, are always starting out 6-0 and and then crumble down, down the stretch. The, the Chargers, I think, were a fun team for a lot of, of people. The 49ers, the year they went to the Super Bowl, I, I don't think... Everybody knew they had talent, but I don't think they were necessarily expecting that from them. So, who knows? That's, that's kind of my thing, is, is that I feel like this offseason, I have tended to be a little bit more pessimistic. And almost, I'm like guarding myself for this Falcons team, because I do think that there's a chance... It could be really bad. I, I do. I think that the the floor for the potential record for this team is about as low as any in the league. Because if you're looking at the ways it can go wrong, injuries coupled with a lack of pass rush, coupled with you know you you still aren't really sure what you have in your secondary. Um, if some of the 
acquisitions this offseason don't really mesh, don't really pan out. I think they're good players, but you know, maybe it's just not the best fit. Offensively, you find yourself playing from behind a lot, which opens up your offensive line to just pass rush like they were last season. Now you're kind of one Julio short and Julio could just kind of take over a game at times by himself. Maybe Calvin's not fully ready for to be the number one receiver, although I think he is. But you can you get my point. It's really easy to kind of start seeing how this unravels in a nightmare scenario. But I come back to I think this coaching staff is really good. If nothing else, I think 2021 will be a showcase to see just how good they actually are. Because if this is a team that maybe starts off slow, is two and four, two and three, one and three, whatever, but then ends the year kind of winning four of their last six, we see the improvement on the field. It's it's tangible. People are feeling better in the locker room as the you know months turn colder. That will be progress. And I think that will still be a successful season, even if you ultimately go six and 11 or if you go seven and 10. I'm approaching this year going into the season less about the final record. It's more about how you get to the final record. And so just before we kicked off training camp, I wanted to lay that all out there so that you guys know where I'm coming from uh, as I continue to talk about training camp and continue to talk about this team. I'm all over the place with it, man. Uh, I'm going to be really, really watching this training camp closely because I want to see that interaction. I want to see how things are operating with a new regime in place and how are, you know, importantly, the older players on this roster responding to now a new situation. How do guys like Deion Jones and, and Grady Jarrett respond now? Because this is different from pretty much everything that they've known. That's that's where I'm at with all of it. I, I think that there's the potential for this team to be better than I'm expecting. But again, I, I also think that things could could go south quickly. I don't want to end on a negative note. No, let's not do that. Let's hope that that this coaching staff and that some of the new players that they've brought in really are impactful and upgrades over not necessarily upgrades, but just more comparable to some of the guys that they lost this offseason and that they are set up really well to be maybe a an underdog or surprising team in 2022 or who knows, maybe even as soon as this fall. All right, so let's get into the uh, the mailbag. We had I had five people submit some questions. So thank you guys to, to those who did. Uh, I'm sure this is not the last mailbag that I will be doing. So in the future, if you guys want to submit a question, just feel free to uh, to shoot it over to me. And uh, frankly, anytime that you have a question, hit me up on, on Twitter and I'll try to find time to uh, to answer. So let's dive on into it. My uh, good friend, Josh Shrewsbury, asked the uh, first question. And I will get to your question this time, Josh. Uh, so he asks, why do NFL teams give such big multi-year contracts to linebackers? Which is interesting. I was actually a little surprised by this question because I, I didn't, I don't think, at least to my knowledge, this isn't like a talking point out in the world. You know, it's not a, not a big complaint or anything. You know, like when we talk about who, who is worth their value or maybe a, a guy like, Aaron Donald or Ndamukong Sue or whatever, like the different positions we pay attention to with money are obviously quarterback wide receiver, and then kind of like pass rushers and star defensive tackles, but linebackers, I know the Fred Warner deal just happened. And maybe that's why this, this question was, was posed, but linebackers kind of aren't talked about financially, or we're not 
super into is this linebacker overpaid? Is this linebacker underpaid? And I, I think part of that is because for uh, an average fan, linebacker is a little bit complex. It's a little bit hard to figure out. I was doing a little bit of research into just what do the top linebackers make. And based on certain positions, like if you compare the top linebackers to the top wide receivers or to the top edge rushers or just different position groups by position groups, the top linebackers aren't actually making a ton of money compared to some of the other position groups. The top player right now, obviously, is Fred Warner after just signing his massive deal, and he's making about $19 million a year. There are a ton of other positions where if you looked at wide receiver, for example, the top guys, probably like the top seven guys are all making over $20 million a year. Same with defensive interior guys. It's the top like five guys are all making over $20 million a year. Edge rushers, same thing. So if we're just talking about by position, I don't think that linebackers are necessarily getting paid like some absurd amount of money. I think they're actually kind of making what they're worth because there there's probably 12 guys who are making more than than 10 million a year on average and that's that's not that many especially considering a lot of the good young linebackers in the league. I mean, Deion Jones right now is 6th and he's making 14.25. He's tied with Miles Jack and that kind of sounds about right. And I think the bigger picture answer to this is that we're still relatively new in the transition of linebacker prototypes. Whereas you used to have these big physical run stopping uh, guys who maybe lacked a little bit of the range sideline to sideline to do all of that. Remember when Deion Jones was drafted, everybody was saying he was way too small, way too undersized. That was just five years ago. And now that's kind of a, a learned behavior that we have gotten rid of. Because we've seen the impact that guys like Devin White, that guys like uh, Roquan Smith, Deion Jones, these smaller guys who are really good now in coverage and don't really give up a ton in the run game because offenses are starting to get smaller as well. And they're starting to utilize more of that outside zone. So I think that they're willing to lock in these young athletic linebackers to big multi-year deals because... A, there aren't just a ton of them out there. If you're a linebacker who is able to cover really well and also make some sideline to side, you're, that's a very valuable thing to have on your defense. That, that's at the heart of your defense who is very versatile and can match up with multiple things that the offense is going to throw them. That's worthy of a big multi-year contract. And so I think that because there aren't a ton of linebackers who are making these big multi-year contracts, it just seems like we hear about it when they do and then it's a little bit more... Uh, of a rarity. And so maybe you pay attention to it a little bit more, but I, I think that there's not yet been the influx of all of those smaller, faster receivers to the point where like you're seeing with running back, there's just uh, the bubbles kind of popped. And now there's so many of them that it's devalued the position. So there, there just aren't that many guys out there like that yet to the point that there's a surplus and that drives the demand down, which ultimately drives the cost down. Um, Josh had a, a second question. Brunch underrated or overrated? I think it's underrated. I mean, personally, again, we're, we're, we're coming down to versatility. You can have so many different options on a, on a good brunch menu. You can do anything from 
crab cakes, uh, obviously eggs Benedict, but you can go chicken and waffles. You could do a breakfast burger if you're inclined. You can go so many different ways with brunch that you can't go. I don't know why people don't have it way more. Honestly, this is a a weird thing for me, but I I usually I usually only eat like two meals a day if it's maybe a, a maybe I'm not hungry when I wake up. So I kind of skip out on breakfast and then eat eat lunch and then eat dinner or maybe I'll eat breakfast and then I'm just kind of full over lunch and maybe then eat like an early dinner. So I'm already kind of a two meals a day guy and brunch to me is just perfect because it straddles that line between breakfast and lunch and you can eat it and then you eat dinner and you're good to go. So that's my call on on brunch. And then his final question was, who is your favorite follower? Which is, I know he's trying to get me to say, uh, say you, Josh, I'll, I'll go ahead and say you, although Peter Schrager does follow me. And so what's up, Peter? Uh, thanks for the follow. All right. Second question. Uh, Andy Gallagher asks with, uh, Alex Mack, Julio Jones, Keanu Neal and Ricardo Allen gone. Who am I expecting to step up as team leaders? This it's a good question because the guys that they named ultimately, you know, were leaders either vocally or just respected for their play on the field. And and people listened when they spoke. I mean, Julio didn't speak often, but I do remember in the middle of kind of that downward spiral last year when they were trying to get things right. And, you know, everybody was every single week asking about DQ's job. Julio did speak up after a game and everybody listened. It was kind of the players all talked about it. They said that, you know, he he got up there and was like, hey, we got to point the fingers at ourselves. We got to, you know, put everything out on the line for these guys, our coaches, because they're taking all the heat and, and we need to fix this. And he that was a moment where he stood up and people listened. I don't think he did that so frequently, which is kind of why those moments were as impactful as they were, because he wasn't doing that all the time. The other guys, absolutely, though, on the field, off the field. Um, were the leaders. So you identified them there. I think I think Foyer is somebody who is really well respected in the locker room. I think he's really well liked. I think he's competitive. And so you're gonna that's another we're on the field, off the field. It feels right. He's kind of hitting that age now where he's going into year four. Um and so year four, year three or four. Um and then obviously Grady. I mean Grady's probably Number one leader, uh, Stephen Means is a player that I think a lot of players around the league respect. Um, he works hard as hell every single practice. He's he's going. Um, he's somebody that the coaching staff will point to when they're making an example and saying, you know, no, it needs to be done like this. Watch how Stephen does it. Um, so I I think that he's somebody who fans may not think of, but absolutely could fill that role. Uh, Deion Jones is a, is another one. He's a little bit quieter. Um, in the locker room, but I, I think on game day, absolutely, he's uh, brings a lot of juice to uh, to his teammates. And then I would look at maybe one of the the veteran guys that have come in at safety to kind of step up in the secondary. Uh, AJ Terrell's again just kind of quiet, and he's only in his second year, so I, I think that's a little bit too much to put on him right now. But I would think maybe like Deron Harmon, a veteran who's been around, who kind of knows the the system, the style that they they want to play in Atlanta. And I would look at him as stepping up and, and bringing some veteran leadership to the back end of the defense. Offensively, obviously, Matt Ryan uh, still there. So he's he's your captain. Uh, Jake Matthews is another person with Alex Mack on. It, Jake's always been a leader there as well. But then Chris Lindstrom is somebody that I know the team has a lot of respect for. He's somebody in the locker room that is stepping up to kind of new challenges, stepping into leadership roles. 
So I would expect him to continue doing that. And then Mike Davis is another kind of veteran addition acquisition. Um, and I would look for him to try to set the tone as far as the run game is concerned. He's obviously a physical player. Um, and so I would look for him to bring that leadership on the field. And I don't, he seems like a great Twitter follow. <laughs> so maybe he'd be awesome off the field. I just don't know him. So I, I can't really speak to that, but those, those are four on offense that I think would step up and fill that void. All right. At Padre 1013 asks, at this point, do you think they'll kick the tires on signing an edge to replace Barcavius Mingo or just ride with who they have? Tell me it's the former, even if you have to lie to me. Um, I'm going to tell you it's probably, probably the former. Um, I think I'm, I wouldn't be surprised though, if it's the latter, but basically it's how do you define kick the tires? If kick the tires is, are they going to sign another edge person? Well, yeah, probably. And maybe they did that on, on Monday with, uh, Manuel Ellerby. But again, those are probably like camp body signings. And maybe there's somebody who who's released in camp or, one of the final days of cuts that the Falcons have had their eye on and they, you know, sign them and, and add some depth there. But I also think that we're just going to have to redefine what our expectations are for this defense and how they generate a pass rush. And I think Dean Pease has told us at every stop, it's going to be a very aggressive defense where they're going to disguise their pressures. They're not necessarily sending their front four. Yes, to win in the NFL, you need to be able to generate pressure at times with four guys because there are going to be situations where you just have to really defend all of the other team's weapons and can't dedicate extra guys. Otherwise, if you're playing Tampa Bay, Tom Brady is good enough to just identify that and he's going to beat you nine times out of ten. So, yes, you do still need to be able to win with four. That being said, there are ways to generate pressure to confuse quarterbacks. Dean Pease has proven effective at doing that. So I kind of give him the benefit of the doubt and he knows what he needs for this defense. I think that's why you're seeing a lot of what I would consider kind of your defensive ends listed as outside linebacker. Dante Fowler listed as outside linebacker. Steven Means listed as outside linebacker. Jacob Tuyoti Mariner listed as outside linebacker. So these guys, I mean, Steven Means played in, in Philly and they, they are a wide nine pass rush defensive ends, pin your ears back kind of guy. And now he's listed as an outside linebacker. So that should tell you something that they are going to be probably standing these guys up. What they're looking for is a little bit different than what we've had here in years past. You don't necessarily need that 275, 280 guy who's, you know, six, five, six, six with long arms. Like they, they're going to be moving these guys around pre-snap post-snap, and so I think that the other thing here is I think at some point you've got to be honest with the finances. What are you choosing to spend now? What are you saving for the future? Because again, this all does roll over. So the money that you save in 2021, you get to play with in 2022. If this is not really a Super Bowl type of roster, and it, I don't think I'm shocking anybody to say it's probably not, then what like adding more just at a position because I don't think they're going to have the money or really the desire right now to go invest in a number one pass rusher. I, I don't think even if they have that, it's probably not changing the Falcons fortunes this season. And so if, if you don't have that, then based on where this team is right now and the expectations going into the year, I just don't think that's a priority to go add 
you know, a, a Shaq Barrett if, if he were out there right now. Would they love to have him? Absolutely. But if this team is, is just a six-win team, then is that money really being used as wisely as possible to go after one of these top guys? Because anybody below that probably isn't changing much with this team. So sure, they're probably going to bring in uh, another person or two. That's just what NFL teams do is they, they make all these transactions. They're constantly evaluating all the players out there. They keep updated profiles on all of these guys. And if somebody comes available that they like, or, you know, somebody isn't who they thought they were when they get them in and get to look at them or somebody gets hurt. Yeah. They're going to bring in these people, but I just don't think you should get your hopes up that any of these moves that we're going to see between now and the season really drastically changes the direction that this team is going for 2021. David Gray asks, do you think the Falcons have a legitimate chance or desire to sign one of the better pass rushers still available in free agency? Someone like Justin Houston, Olivier Vernon, or Jarrell Casey? So obviously this is a great follow-up question because those are types of guys who probably fall into the category of, you know, obviously they're veterans. This is probably their, you know, last stop or one of their last stops of their career. Probably you're getting them at, at kind of a bargain um, because they are up there in age. But th- those aren't the types of guys who I really like Justin Houston. I, I think that the career he's had is very underrated and we don't talk about him as as a good player from the last decade enough. But I don't think he's putting your pass rush over the top. And so the reason you would bring in somebody like any of those guys, you know, like Jarrell Casey, who. Um, obviously his experience kind of in Tennessee with Arthur Smith and Dean Pease. But the reason you bring in somebody like this category is probably more of a culture thing, probably more of, Hey, we need you to come in here and really set the standard. You know, your role, your veteran leadership we've got, but they don't have young guys. See, that's the thing. If you had just drafted somebody in the first round or the second round who you hope can be your star pass rusher of the future, then maybe you bring in one of these mentor-like guys. The Falcons don't really have anybody like that on the roster. Think back to 2016 with Vic Beasley and Dwight Freeney. That obviously worked out, but even then, Dwight Freeney wasn't necessarily brought in because of what he could do. He was brought in to really get under Vic Beasley's skin, motivate him, push him, get him to be the best version of himself that he could be. So if they're going to bring in somebody like that, I think it's less because of what they can do on the field right now in their career and more because the team needs some new blood in the locker room. They need more veteran leadership, somebody to really help mentor some of the younger guys on this roster. I just don't know if pass rush is like the right spot for that. And these guys, again, I don't know if they fit the model of what Atlanta is looking for right now in their edge rushers. I don't know if, you know, Justin Houston came from a three, four can, can play all of that, but it doesn't seem like even that is he exactly the same as, you know, Dante Fowler. I don't think so. I think they are different players. So that that's kind of all of my thoughts on, on the edge is a, we need to probably redefine just what we're expecting from this defense and from this group. And then B, I just don't know if yes, we all identify it's the biggest kind of hole on this roster right now. I don't think they have enough resources to fully address it this offseason. I don't know if they have enough options on the table as far as the players who are available to address it this offseason. And if you're not going to be able to address something fully and it's only going to be partial at this point in the year, I just don't know if that's worth throwing the limited resources that you do have 
to kind of patchwork fix a problem because I don't know if you're making a move or two moves that just drastically affects your edge position at this point. All right, last one here. Uh, Doug Patalano asks, do you expect Mike Davis to get the majority of the carries this year or will it be more of a running back by committee? Um, I think it's a good question. Obviously, that's another big thing that everybody's been talking about because you've got uh, a head coach that is very famous for the running back that he worked at previously. But as Arthur Smith has said from day one, having Derrick Henry is kind of like having Shaq on your team and there just aren't that many Shaqs running around. So I think that as with everything he's, he's doing in a new environment, he's going to adapt to what they do have. I think that, you know, if you listen to what Desmond Kitchings, their, their new running back coach has said, it's that nobody really is, has a role right now. Nobody has the lead job. It's an open competition. They didn't draft a running back. Everybody expected them to kind of draft that they did bring in uh Corderell Patterson and, you know, maybe, I guess he's going to be playing running back full time. Um, So we'll see how that goes. But right now, Mike Davis seems like he's going to get the first crack at a lead role, or at least that would be my expectation because he does make sense for at least the type of skills that he brings in that, you know, he's not Derrick Henry, but he does have the combination of, of strength with, uh, short area mobility and and quickness. He is a little, he's got great balance, but he is a little shiftier than I think people expect. And so when he gets up on you, he can make you miss a little bit more. And that's something that even though Derrick Henry is huge, he does actually make some people miss. And so that's, that's kind of why I think if you were, it's a little bit like Moneyball, right? When they, at the very beginning of that movie and they're having this big conversation about, well, how do you replace Giambi and how do you replace, you know, whoever, and they they were like, well, you're trying to replace the player, but you, what you really should be trying to do is make an amalgamation of his qualities and his traits and what he brought to the team. And so I think that's kind of a little bit with what they're doing with Mike Davis here is, no, he's not Derrick Henry, but there are no other Derrick Henrys. Okay, well, what were the qualities that Derrick Henry had that made him a good running back? And can we maybe get a lesser version of those skills in another player who would be in our price range. And I think that that's where you land with Mike Davis, who is, you know, older as a running back, but he still had a great year last year when he was taking over for Christian McCaffrey and, you know, the Falcons, he had, I think his best game of the season against Atlanta. So he's still a very good player. Would I be shocked to see, you know, Quadri Allison really take a step forward? Uh, I've been waiting on that since he was drafted. I obviously, I think Cordero Patterson is going to have a role here. And then, you know, if somebody, has a great training camp, then maybe they factor into the mix, but running back is really kind of hard to um, evaluate in training camp just because of the nature of the training camp. Now the coach coaches will know what they want, but I I don't know if from a media perspective or, you know, as fans, I don't know if we're going to really get a great sense until maybe the preseason games, but probably not even then, because I think the real answer here, and I think the right answer um, from a coaching perspective is that they're not going to be afraid to ride the hot hand in in games. I think that you'll see a a situation where they do have kind of a clear pecking order. They do have clear roles outlined. um, But also the presence of Cordero Patterson means that you could probably have some uh, packages with quote unquote, two running backs out on the field at the same time and just use the versatility of, of what Patterson brings 
to this team. And, you know, is he a wide receiver? Is he running back? Is he in jet motion? You know, what have you? So I would expect a lot of creativity in how they're going to utilize the running backs this season. And I think if we get into a game and, you know, Quadri Allison breaks four runs of, of 12 plus yards in the first half, he's probably going to get the ball a lot in the second half. Um, and I think that's smart. I think good teams uh, do that. And again, I think Arthur Smith is, is a smart coach and that he's put together a smart staff. So I would, I would be surprised if Mike Davis is not the starter coming out of camp, but if he's not the starter, that means that probably somebody won the job over him and that would be reason for excitement as well. Uh, so that was, that's the mailbag. Uh, thank you to everybody who sent in questions and participated. I hope you guys learned a little bit about that and that will do it for today's show. But everybody celebrate because training camp is here. It started. We're going to have football back in our lives. We're going to get to see highlights of Kyle Pitts catching passes from Matt Ryan. We're going to get to see highlights of AJ Terrell intercepting passes from Matt Ryan. (laughs) Um, But more importantly, we're going to have some awesome news and just opinions and all of that good stuff that we love to talk about when it comes to football. And there you go. Once again, you can follow me on Twitter at Will McFadden. Uh, Check out the stuff I'm writing at the Falcoholic. We've got a really cool Atlanta Jersey history series going right now where I did deep dives on every single number that any athlete has worn in Atlanta history and trying to decide who is the best ever to wear each number across a variety of different sports here. So go check that out. Please subscribe, uh, tell your friends, tell your family. And just a final reminder that today's episode was brought to you by Bet Online. Um, I believe I believe that's it. Checked all the all the boxes on the list. Uh, I'll see everybody next week. Thanks again for listening and take care. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.